Well, it's been great to be together in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's always a privilege when we get to gather as his family and worship him. And uh, I just pray that we will never take that for granted in this country. Because we never know what the future holds. And so while we have this freedom, I... uh, Thank you, and I continue to spur you and spur myself and my family on. Let us never forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And uh, so praise the Lord for that. Well, I appreciate what uh, Pastor Rick mentioned about this coming weekend. And I would ask you, the Lord woke me up on Tuesday morning with this thought in mind about the Compassion Weekend. Understand that it's more than an experience. It's more than simply going through a tour of a very well-thought-out interactive display so that people can feel what it must be like to live as a child in poverty in a developing nation. And what he put on my mind is this is a gospel initiative. This is a gospel initiative. And if you're not familiar with that word, the gospel, the gospel is simply the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has provided through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is a gospel initiative. Yes, it's a great opportunity to uh, show the love of Christ by generously supporting a child who is in need in a developing country. But as a person who's had the privilege of going to Lima, Peru, and uh, spending a day with Compassion in their office there just to watch how they actually handle the funds that people entrust to them, and then to have the opportunity to meet our sponsored child and spend the day with her and her mom, and uh, where she goes after school to the local church where they care for her, intertwined through all the physical care is the good news of the gospel that is presented to these families. And so what's so neat is we may never get to travel around the world, but through our investment, lives will be saved around the world that will be with us for eternity. It's an amazing opportunity. But I want you to be in specific prayer this week, not just that God will move our hearts and whoever goes through there to invest in the gospel, in Christ's mission, but I want you to also pray for those in our community who are going to go through the compassion experience. Because I think what's really cool is God's setting up many appointments for people who think they're there to learn about a child. Well, they are. They're going to learn about the child, Jesus Christ, who came to be with us. And as Pastor Rick said, we are trending towards 3,000 people have registered, which is awesome. But a couple of stories just to help you understand why we need to be praying this week. Uh, By God's grace and through his favor alone, uh, the four local public schools that we try to maintain a good witness and have a relationship with, uh, we got permission. Now, you understand, we have to send something through the public schools. We have to first get permission from the school board. And then we have to get permission from the principal of the local school to be able to send information home with every child to their homes. And by God's grace and through his favor, all four public schools uh, gave us permission and the school board to send home flyers about this initiative to all the families in those local schools, which is awesome. And so we, we thank the Lord for that. And what's so neat is when Rebecca uh, went into the schools to finally get the final permission from the principal, some of the staff and the people she ran into said, oh yeah, we know all about that. And I think some of them have even registered to go through it, which is awesome. And then yes, on Friday, Jim and I were trying to find a vendor who can come and sell snow cones and popcorn and cotton candy and all that kind of stuff during the Super Saturday time of next Saturday. And uh, he remembered a contact he had. And uh, we called her, and uh, I could tell by the tone in his voice that something hadn't gone well with her. 
And then Jim put her on speakerphone, and I started to speak to her, only to find out within the last year, uh, her mother's passed away, and then with the last six months, uh, the man that she was living with left her. And, uh, and yet she said, oh, I'm glad you called, because I'm actually going through that tour. I've registered myself to go through that tour. And I went, well, that's fantastic. And she's going to come, and she's going to enjoy making the product and stuff. And she already said she's just turning the profit back to them to go through that. But here's another lady who doesn't know the person of Jesus Christ personally yet, but God has already orchestrated in her life to go through that experience next week, and she will hear the good news that we can have hope, and there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ. So please be in prayer this week. It's not just about those in the developing countries, but God is doing a neat thing in our own community to introduce himself to many people through this cause. So I pray that you would uh, take that seriously. Well, as many of you will go through that compassion experience next week, you will get a glimpse of the unfortunate situation when a young child, boy or daughter, is forced to grow up without a loving parent. You will witness that when you go through next week. It's always unfortunate, an unfortunate turn of events when a young boy or young girl is forced to grow up without a loving parent. And this is the story of Robert Robinson. Now, some of you may go, Robert Robinson, who is he? Never heard of him. This is the latest picture we could get of him. This is his story. You see, his dad passed away when he was only eight years old. And to make Robert's circumstances much more difficult, his maternal grandfather a wealthy man who had never approved of his daughter's marriage to Robert's father disinherited him as his grandson and provided him an inheritance of only 10 shillings and 6 pence. Now, I'm not good at math and I'm not good on the computer. So my wife last night, I said, how much is 10 shillings and 6 pence worth? Because this was the guy's inheritance that he got from his grandfather. And it would work out today to be 83 cents. So the value that this grandfather put on his grandson was 83 cents. As soon as Robert was old enough, he secured a job as an apprentice to a barber. Even in his youth, he always had to endure the hardship of having to be the breadwinner for his widowed mother and himself. But Robert had an adult-like quality ingrained in him. And this always allowed him to accept the responsibilities of an adult, even though he was only a teenage boy. And as Robert grew older, he came under the influence of a famous preacher named George Whitfield. And on December the 10th, 1755, Robinson could not get out of his head a particular phrase used by Mr. Whitfield in one of his sermons. Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come the wrath to come. Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come, kept echoing through Robert's head. He could not get it out of his head. He could not stop hearing the sound of Mr. Whitfield's voice as he said, oh, my hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. And on that day, on December the 10th, 1755, Robert was wondrously converted, and later he became a minister of the gospel himself. And in one location, his congregation grew to a thousand in attendance. What was it that God used to change the course of Robert's life? It was a warning. 
O my hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. Now, unfortunately, later in life, and for some unexplained reasons, he became very unstable and unhappy. His Christian beliefs and training seemed of little importance to him. And it was during this season of his life that he wrote these very familiar words of an old hymn. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Robert Robinson, if we are honest, is not alone in how he felt that day when he penned the words of those hymns. You see, all of us, if we're honest, if it wasn't for the grace of God and his sustaining power in our lives, we are all naturally prone to wander away from the truth and from what really matters. That is why we've called this series, Hold On, Hang In, Stay Committed to Christ, our superior Savior and His gospel. Doing that really matters. It not only matters to God, but as you hear this morning, it also matters to you. And the preacher of Hebrews is going to reinforce that for us this morning as we continue in his sermon. Having established with his congregation the identity and supreme authority of Christ, he switches his focus in his message to his congregation, as we'll look at this week. And he issues a solemn warning, a solemn warning that applies to them way back then, but also applies to us today. And warnings, if followed, can change the course of your life and my life and can also prevent us from going through a lot of unnecessary pain, hurt, and struggle. Warnings, God uses them to get our attention, to change the course of our life, and to protect us from unnecessary struggle, pain, and hurt. So if you have your Bible to hear with you this morning, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read through the whole chapter. It's only 18 verses, so that you get a feel for the, this whole unit of the sermon And then we will refer back to certain parts of it as we go along this morning. So, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, follow along. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. You put everything under their feet. He's talking about us, about mankind. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Does that not describe the world we live in today? Chaos. Chaos. But the next four verses are so beautiful. But we do see Jesus. In the midst of all the chaos, we do see 
Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it is fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praise. And again, he says, I will put my trust in him. Again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that we have your word in our language so that we can understand it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes sense of it for us. God, I pray that as we dig into this this morning, I pray, God, that you will do your work which you intended your word to be delivered this morning in transforming and changing us. Help us, Lord, I pray, to respond appropriately to what you're going to say to us this morning and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hold on. Hang in. We've been hearing lots of warnings on TV over the last number of weeks as the hurricanes go through. Lots of public safety alert announcements with the motivation that it would spur the appropriate reaction in those who are hearing it, and they would take the appropriate actions. Well, this morning, we are going to talk about a spiritual, a public spiritual alert. A public spiritual alert that is key that we follow and that we take the appropriate actions. If you've spent any time at the beach or near an ocean, you will know that a red flag is the universal symbol for hazardous conditions, danger, conditions such as strong surf or currents are present. When you see the red flags, all swimmers are discouraged from entering the water. And those entering the water should take great care. I've been at a beach every now and then. If it warrants, you may even have seen lifeguards going up and down on four-wheelers with megaphones pleading with people, please get out of the water. Hazardous conditions, get out of the water. Well, the preacher of Hebrews in the text we're going to look at this morning is giving a red flag warning to his congregation. And that red flag warning is this, pay attention, pay attention. And he not only tells his congregation to pay attention, he says we must pay attention. This red flag warning that is given through the preacher of Hebrews is not just for the congregation. Leaders, congregants, all alike, here today at 300 Roslyn Road, we must pay attention. None of us are exempt from this warning given to us today. 
But then he goes on to develop that even further. Not just pay attention. Look how carefully he uses his words. We must. This is not optional. We must pay the most careful attention. A sense of acknowledging that we need to do something even greater than what we are currently doing. It's not that we're not paying attention. It's that we're not paying the most careful attention to do something to even a greater degree than we are currently doing. How many of you find it hard to pay attention? Yeah. But now in classrooms, it's kind of cool. They got all kinds of, I know we're doing a certain type of chair in here, but my son, Daryl, is loving high school. And his favorite class is geography because he can sit on a, what are those things called? A fitness ball. He can stand if he wants to stand. There's all kinds of cool things in high school that we would have ended up having a war over. But, you know, because it's hard to pay attention. It is. And here we're being challenged. We must pay the most careful attention. That's hard work. And it takes an intentional focus of our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our senses. The, the, the theme that he's building here is this attention that you must give to what I'm going to tell you needs to involve your whole being. When I read that, the first picture that came to my mind was of the biathletes in the Winter Olympics. If you've ever watched the Winter Olympics, the biathlon is a very challenging sport. Because of the combination of two very contradictory disciplines. Cross-country skiing and shooting. Cross-country skiing skiing requires intense, full-out physical stamina over a long period of time. While shooting requires extreme fine control and stability. If you've watched the Winter Olympics, you see when the athletes arrive at the shooting range... They have to shoot at a very small target with a racing heart and heaving chest while the clock is ticking. They have to focus on hitting this target. And the most successful athletes are the ones that are able to focus their whole being, their mind, their heart, their body, their senses, focusing the most careful attention on their target. This is the implication. Most careful intention. It goes beyond simply hearing the warning, but encourages us to also take the appropriate action. Don't just hear the warning this morning. Ask God to stir your heart as we go through his word this morning to tell you what is it. What is the appropriate action, God, you're calling me to today as a result of the warning? There's an urgency with how the preacher is talking to his congregation. I'm sure many of you have been watching the news with all the hurricanes going through. But one of the most interesting things that I heard this week was from the governor of Puerto Rico. When Maria was heading towards his part of the land, he simply told his people, find shelter or die. It wasn't a long news conference. Find shelter or die. And when I listened to that, I thought, my goodness, what if we as your church, who you have told us to go and make disciples, would start being honest with people that we know to say, if you don't find Jesus Christ, you will die. Find shelter and die is what the governor of Puerto Rico said. 
So what is it that we are supposed to pay the most careful attention to? Well, if you see the next words in verse 1, he says, to what we have heard. To what we have heard. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard. If you are here today because somewhere in your life you had to have heard the message of Jesus Christ because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word about the message of Jesus Christ. You need to be thankful for the times in your life where God has put you in a situation to hear the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we are to pay the most careful attention to. The verbal proclamation of the message regarding the supremacy of Christ and what he has accomplished. And in the start of his sermon, he tells us what Christ accomplished. Purification for our sins. We must pay the most careful attention to the proclamation, the verbal proclamation of the supremacy of Christ. He is above all and what he has accomplished. He has provided purification for our sins. And he uses a word there, therefore, in the middle. So it is for this reason. I give you this warning to pay the most careful attention to what you have heard for this reason so that you will not drift away. So that you will not drift away because we know that all of us are prone to wander. We're prone to wander. In this context, the preacher uses the word drifting And it has a nautical connotation. He is helping them to paint a mental picture in their mind of a ship that is passing the safe harbor because the captain is not paying attention to the changing currents and the direction of the wind. He is helping them to paint a picture of what drifting is like. You are out there going on with your life Completely neglecting the safe harbor of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are neglecting to pay attention to the changing currents around you. You see, these early believers were in danger of drifting away from the safety they had found in being anchored to the word of salvation revealed to them about Jesus. Many of them were intellectually okay with what they had heard about Christ. Yes, he is superior than the angels. And yes, I'm good with him being superior to the prophets. But their intellectual belief in him had not penetrated their hearts to the point where they were committed to serving him in spite of what was going on around them with loyalty as their God and Lord. Therefore, when the social currents began to change, And the winds of persecution started to swirl around them. Rather than holding on to the word of salvation they had heard, they began to loosen hold on the gospel and began to drift towards whatever made their lives seemingly more convenient. You see, brothers and sisters, unfortunately, when we grow apathetic, when we stop paying the most careful attention to the gospel, that we have heard and that we have received. And when we stop loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we put ourselves in danger of making shipwreck of our lives. Proverbs 12 verse 14 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The way that appears to be right that you might be pursuing, that I might be pursuing on our own outside of Christ may look different. There's many options. 
For the congregation that the preacher of Hebrews is speaking to, he was addressing the way that appeared right to them. And that was to return to their old form of religion under Judaism. The persecution they were experiencing had caused them to reconsider their commitment to Christ. And they were looking for an escape route. Oh, they wanted God, but without the commitment that requires surviving and enduring persecution. They wanted God, but without the persecution. And rather than lining up their lives with the gospel with what they've heard, they wanted the gospel to line up with their preferences. I think I've been guilty of that in my own life. Rather than just accepting the gospel, the word that has been revealed to me, and lining my life up and my family with the gospel, often I'm guilty of taking the gospel and trying to adapt it to my preference. You know, an indicator that we are possibly on a way that appears right, but in the end will lead to destruction, is when we default to options that require less sacrifice. Options that require less sacrifice. Easy choices should always make us take a second look. Am I drifting this way? Am I attracted to move past the safe harbor because it allows me to be lazy? Because it doesn't require me to change my lifestyle? The reality is the right choice will always require self-sacrifice. Because Jesus said, in order to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Brothers and sisters, we must not be enticed by attractive shortcuts that seem right. We must stick to the truth. Hold on. Hang in. Stay committed. The warning given then and the warning for us today is the same. Hold tightly to the truth of the gospel. By grace, through faith, In Jesus Christ, anchor ourselves to the word of salvation that has been revealed to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Red flag warning, pay attention. All of us, we must pay the most careful attention to the word we have heard so that we will not drift. What's the urgency behind it? What's the rationale behind this warning? So that we will avoid disastrous results. How shall we escape, the author says, if we ignore so great a salvation? Escape what? How shall we escape the just punishment and discipline of God on our lives? As one author said, we must never maximize the grace of God to the neglect of the holiness of God and his desire for holiness of his people. Listen closely to that. We must never maximize the grace of God to the neglect of the holiness of God and his desire for holiness of his people. We sang about it this morning in several of the songs. The foundation of God's punishment, his discipline on us, resides in his holy character and his divine love. God takes our obedience to his revealed word very seriously. And because he is holy and because he loves us, he cannot and he will not take our disobedience, our neglect, our sinful decisions lightly. He can't. It goes against his character. 
And the preacher emphasizes this point with his congregation by using what is called a lesser to greater argument. Knowing his audience's background and, this, and the special importance that Jews placed on the ministry of angels, he says, since the message spoken through angels was binding. What message is he referring to when he's speaking to them? The message is the law. The law that was given by God to the angels through Moses to the people. The law was the way in which God wanted his people to respond to him as their king. It was the means that he established, holy God established for his people at that time in history to be able to be in relationship with him by faith through obedience to the stipulations that he laid out in the law under the old covenant. And under this God-ordained structure that was passed from God to angels, to Moses, and then to the people, the preacher reminds them, he says to them, hey, guys, if under that old law, every violation of the law and disobedience received its just punishment, if God dealt so swiftly with those who broke the law under the old covenant that was passed to angels, then to Moses, and then eventually to the people, how much greater will be God's just punishment for those who ignore such a great salvation, the gospel, that has been passed directly from God through his son to us, who, by the way, Jesus, we know, is God. So if God did not take lightly disobedience under the old covenant, that had mediators to deliver it to the people, how much greater then will he hold us accountable who have received his desire for how we should live under the new covenant directly from himself through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And if we're not convinced that it's greater, the author says this salvation passed directly from God to us, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to the early Christians by apostles and by others who heard him. And God himself authenticated the message by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed to his will. Lesser to greater argument. The messenger and the message of the new covenant are greater than the messengers and the message of the old covenant. Not that the message and the messengers of the old covenant were not valid. They were, but they were less compared to the new covenant that was passed to us directly, personally, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The greater the privilege, the greater the punishment for disobedience. The greater the privilege, the greater the punishment for disobedience or neglect. Is it important that we pay the most careful attention? Absolutely. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus, in talking in another scenario about being watchful, about paying the most careful attention, listen to what he says. In Luke chapter 12, verse 47, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will not be beaten with many blows. But the one who does know and does not listen to him, he will receive many blows. 
He's making the point here that those of us who have received the knowledge, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants, we know will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know, the one who has not heard, and the things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. Listen carefully what he says. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Because he is holy, And because he loves us, he will not take our sin lightly. The law told mankind what they must do. The gospel delivered directly by Jesus Christ tells us what God has done. The law helped mankind understand their sin. The gospel helps us to understand our salvation. And if we ignore or neglect such a great salvation as the preacher is saying with urgency... If we ignore this great salvation through apathy, to not care enough about it, to the point where we begin to drift and simply ignore it, please hear God's word this morning. We will not escape the just punishment we deserve. We will not escape the just punishment we deserve. Proverbs 13.5 says, The way of the unfaithful is hard and leads to destruction. In an article I read this week, I thought it was a great reminder about the necessity to understand the seriousness of our sin. The author says, too often we think too little of sin. Our hearts often want us to believe that sin is insignificant. We begin to trade in our conscience because God's holiness seems less important than our own momentary happiness. Satan tempts us to believe that happiness and holiness are at odds with one another. And our hearts take the opportunity to pursue sinful alternatives instead of obedience. Furthermore, Satan wants us to believe that little infractions here or there are nothing to a God as gracious as ours. And while it is true that God's grace is sufficient, every sin is also absolutely repugnant to him. James tells us that breaking the law anywhere is breaking it in totality. So please listen carefully. To presume upon grace is to presume upon the one that was willing for his own most beloved son to suffer in our place for those sins. And when we are willing to presume on such a jaw-dropping sacrifice, almost without a second thought, it's surely an indicator that our hearts are beginning to drift. And we will not escape God's just punishment because he is holy and he loves us. The warning has been given, pay the most careful attention. And the rationale has been explained so that we don't face his just punishment and discipline. And I encourage you today, as the preacher of Hebrews will say in in chapter 3, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Just like the governor said, find shelter or die. Your loving Father in heaven is saying to you, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Because if you do, you will surely face the just punishment for your sins. So where does our help come from then? We have this warning, the rationale. But what hope do we have? Psalms 121 says, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. 
You see, what I love about the preacher, he doesn't leave his congregation with only a picture of God as their judge. But it's equally important for him was to help them to understand and to have a picture of God as their loving Father. I know in my life, when I have been drifting further from the truth and what really matters, and I haven't been paying the most careful attention, I begin to feel discouraged. I begin to feel defeated. And I begin to feel exhausted, enduring the just punishment for my disobedience. And in those seasons, can I encourage you this morning, never, never, never allow the enemy of our souls to convince us to throw in the towel and to stop holding on and to stop hanging in. Because no matter how far you, no matter how far I have drifted from the God, our God, our Creator, He loves us. He loves us. If you are here this morning and you're in a season of drifting, hear God's word to you this morning. Yes, he's holy. And yes, he'll hold you accountable. But he loves you. How am I convinced of this for my own life? Based on the incredible rescue plan he set in place to save me and plant my feet on solid ground. That is why I am convinced that even in seasons of disobedience, because of not paying attention to what is so important to God and what should be so important to me, even in that, God in his grace reminds me of his amazing rescue plan that he has provided to save me and to plant me on solid ground. His great rescue plan, our great salvation, was initiated by God's grace and delivered to us as a gift God's grace. What is grace? His undeserved favor towards us. You know, when we consider our worthlessness, it should stagger us to think, why would he even be bothered with me? Didn't the preacher say that in the word he referred to a text? What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. The Bible describes us as being dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we used to live and when we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, there's that we, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our preferences, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserved God's just judgment and punishment and discipline for our sin. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. Our only hope of escaping, the the preacher says, how will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Our only hope of escaping God's punishment is by his grace. And he extravagantly displays his grace towards us through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In verse 9 of our text, it says that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. 
Now he is superior. He is crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Listen to this statement. This statement caught my attention this week. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What a statement. By the grace of God, Christ tasted death for everyone. Because of our great need, because of God's great grace, he gave us Christ. And God's great grace led Christ to the cross. So that all past, present, and future who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Rescued from living in the fear of dying and facing God's just punishment for our sins. Our God, he is our righteous judge, saw our case, and rather than just throwing the hammer down and sentencing you and me to what we deserved, which is death, for the wages of sin is death, he stepped down and came to us in grace through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, also known as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Son of God, was not by nature flesh and blood like you and I are, but he willingly took upon himself our nature. Verse 14 says that he shared in their humanity. That means he took a hold of something that was not by nature his kind. And if you read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, you'll read that he did that with utmost humility. Why? In order to bring many sons and daughters to glory. In order to bring many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Have you ever thought of Christ being the pioneer of your salvation? Isn't that an awesome phrase? He is the pioneer of my salvation. When I think about my great-grandfather who came over to Germany and the work that he had to do to pick stones out of the field to create a little piece of land that would actually be fruitful for harvesting, that's a ton of work. And I thought about this. Jesus is the pioneer of my salvation. It required sacrifice. It required sacrifice. He suffered. John MacArthur states in his divine nature, Christ was already perfect. However, his human nature was perfected through obedience, including suffering, in order that he might provide for you and for me the righteousness that we needed to be in a right standing, to be able to be in a right relationship with a holy God. And so that's why the preacher says in verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. In the past, under the old covenant, the high priest was the mediator between God, people and God. His service to God on behalf of the people was to regularly offer the animal sacrifices according to the law and to intercede to God on behalf of the people for their sins. However, in the greater rescue plan, 
Jesus came to be the final high priest and supreme savior. As the greater high priest, he did not sacrifice animals for your sin and for my sin. He sacrificed himself. And through his perfect obedience, his sacrificial death once and for all paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins. He died as our representative. He died as your substitute. He willingly endured the weight of God's judgment against our sin so that those like you and I, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, will never have to bear God's wrath that we deserve. By taking on human nature, Christ demonstrates his mercy towards us. He demonstrated his faithfulness to God through obedience, by satisfying God's requirement for the payment of sin, and by doing that, he obtained for you and for me full forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, 1 John 2, 2, says the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. By dying, our supreme Savior was able to conquer death through his resurrection. By conquering death, we read in the text today, he broke the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Satan is rendered powerless against those who are saved. And he freed us from being slaves to the fear of dying. I did not mention this in the first service, but the Lord just is convicting me of it. I struggled until early this year with the fear of dying. That's something I've always struggled with as a kid. And you know what? God in his mercy and in his kindness to me, and I know this will sound crazy to some of you, over the last year, got to witness God take one of his children from earth into his presence and to be by their bedside when that happened. And you know what was amazing is God used that to help me to realize, Calvin, you are free from the fear of dying. You have eternal life. And as I watched him gently remove the breath from two humans' lungs, I sat there with perfect peace. And I realized how amazing the gift of eternal life is to us. This world is not our home. He has broke the power of death by defeating Satan, and he has freed us from being slaves to the fear of death because he is our supreme savior. Christ is the centerpiece of our great salvation, the great rescue plan. There's a warning Red flag warning that we must pay careful attention to. The rationale is totally legit. God is holy and he is loving and he will justly punish us and discipline us when we choose to drift. But under all that, he has this amazing rescue plan plan that he has provided for us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of our great salvation. He came to us. He suffered for us. He died for us. 
He made atonement for us so we will not have to face the wrath of God. He broke the power of Satan over us, and he freed us from slavery to fear. This is our great salvation. Many years later, Robert Robertson found himself a fellow passenger sitting beside a young lady on a stagecoach. It is reported that she began to sing to break the monotony of the trip. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. As she finished singing, the young woman asked Robert what he thought about the song. Can you imagine what he was thinking in that moment? This is years later. And the young lady said, what do you think about the song? His startling reply was this. Listen closely. Young lady, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds, if I had them, to feel now what I felt then. See, he had drifted. He no longer held on to the truths as precious. The teaching and the training that he had received were no longer important to him. He had stopped paying the most careful attention and had drifted. And years later was still living in regret and longing for what he felt that night when he responded, O hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. Maybe you're here this morning and you are not, and I am not, paying the most careful attention to what we have heard. Like the early believers, we also face the same temptation and the same warning. We are all prone to wonder instead of casually glancing at the gospel and then forgetting about it. We must pay the most careful attention to it. The preacher in Hebrews warns all Christ followers to be alert, be on guard as we make decisions about living out our confession of Christ. We must live it out every day in ways that show how much we cherish it. I ask you this morning, are you living in regret that you have drifted? Your life is not evident to your spouse or to your kids that you are paying the most careful attention to what you have heard and you have drifted. We all go through seasons like that. Please understand God's grace to you this morning as he gave you breath in your lungs to be at this facility this morning to hear his word to you because he loves you and he wants to free you and he wants to bring you back to what you know is the safe harbor, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and the purification of sins that he has provided and he wants to set your feet back on solid ground. If God has spoken to you this morning, you've heard the warning. You understand the rationale, and you are so thankful 
that he has a rescue plan. Then I would invite you while we sing this final song as a declaration. I've heard the warning and I know I need to take the appropriate course now to make sure that I don't end in disaster, negative, unnecessary consequences. Then I'm going to ask you to come and join me. I'm just going to be at the front and we are going to simply pray a prayer of dedication at the end of this song. This song is a great song that because he has overcome, you heard this, because we have such a great salvation, we too can overcome. And rather than drifting, if we will pay the most careful attention, we can stand firm in the gospel announced by Jesus Christ, fulfilled through Jesus Christ. I love the end, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help. If you're drifting and you need help this morning, God is able to help you. Father, we stand in your holy presence this morning unworthy, but so grateful for your incredible love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you so much that by your grace, our Savior Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. Thank you, God, that we can overcome the temptations and the drifting because you have already overcome. And we will overcome and we will never forget that it is always by your blood. So, God, we just thank you this morning for giving us this day and this time of history of our world to hear your word. You have warned us. You have given us the rationale. And you have helped us to understand that what you're asking us to do, you have made a way that it can be possible and that we can have the power to resist sin and to say no. So God, I thank you for every individual that has come forward this morning as a step of faith before you, that they recognize that they have drifted. God, I pray that they'll confess their sin to you. Thank you for helping them to understand the importance that you put in obeying your word. May they leave today feeling released and free because they have a great Savior who loves them and has an amazing rescue plan that he has provided for them. So God, we love you. And as a congregation, I pray that you would continue to help us to become more like the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us this week to pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. And I pray all this in the mighty name, the only name by which people can be saved, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.